0: Meeting with a misanthrope by Bart Meehan Firsts are always tough. First day at school, first dates, first job out of university. Smith had filled out all the forms and been allocated his new-boy desk as far from the window as it was possible to be in an open-plan office. He'd been introduced to everyone, a wave of names that crashed over him. Then he was handed a company mug and directed to the lunchroom with a friendly suggestion that he get himself some of the world's worst coffee. He followed the instructions to a small kitchenette in desperate need of an update and found walls with scalded paint bubbling up over the hot water urn, greasy posters offering instructions on everything from safety to teamwork, an aged fridge with the door swung open and clearly in the early stages of defrosting, and, in the middle of the room, a table holding a couple of half-full plates of quartered sandwiches, obviously the remnants of a working lunch. Hovering over them was an old man, dressed in suit and tie, in contrast to the casual linen sports-jacket and open-neck shirt. Smith was wearing. The man, who was shaking his head over the curling crusts, turned to face Smith as he entered the room. "'Who are you?' he snapped. Taken a little off guard by the brusque manner, Smith stuttered out his name and then offered his hand. The man looked at it, but turned back to the sandwiches. "'Cunningham!' "'he said, picking up a quarter for closer examination. "'Vegetarian! "'There's only ever eggplant or avocado left after a meeting these days. "'Do you want one?' "'Smith let his unrequited hand drop awkwardly to his side "'and shook his head. "'Cunningham smiled, obviously pleased by the response, "'and threw the stale reject back on the plate. "'Smart man,' he said. Eat meat. Impossible to make good decisions unless you have iron in your blood. You're new. Smith nodded. Um, I started today. The older man positively beamed at the information. Lucky fellow. I wish I was a new starter, beginning it all again. Nothing like the excitement of starting a career. Smith was feeling unsettled conversation with a stranger, where he didn't know what questions to ask or answers to give, so he nodded again, and gave the stock response. "'Everyone's been very nice so far.' Cunningham waved it away. "'Don't worry about the people, Smith. They come and go. It's the company that matters,' he said, then suddenly looked at him, suspicious.' You're not in HR, are you? No, I'm an architect. Good, good. Someone who works for a living. All HR is worried about is whether the workplace is pleasant. The disgust at the thought played across his face. Pleasant? If you want that, go home. More discomfort. What is the right response here? "'I suppose they're just trying to make sure it's productive,' Smith said, "'trying to find a way out of the conversation.' "'But Cunningham waved again, clearly unwilling to let him escape. "'Productive? You know how to make it productive? "'Do the job! Do the bloody job! "'These days it's all meetings about budgets and occupational safety, "'hours of discussion about avoiding paper cuts.' Now that demanded a stronger position. Oh, I think you may be a bit harsh. There's risks in every workplace. I read that five people die every year from filing cabinets falling on them. They open the top drawer and it topples over. Darwinism in action, thinning out the stupid. The older man looked at him intently. Architect, you said? Yes. "'I'm part of the new government capital works team.' "'Cunningham nodded in a way that suggested his interest in the answer had waned. "'Couldn't get into engineering.' "'Smith was offended, but uncertain how to formulate his defence. "'After all, he was the new boy, "'and he had no idea where Cunningham fitted into the organisation. "'So instead, he walked across to the percolator,' "'and half-filled his mug with a dark syrup. "'Then, noting the fridge was in no condition to hold anything, asked, "'Is there any milk?' "'Cunningham shrugged. "'I suppose Black will do.' "'Smith sipped the coffee, "'which sat in his mouth long enough to allow warning messages "'to be sent to his brain about continuing. "'He put the mug down on the table "'and made another attempt at, at a normal conversation with a colleague.' So, you're an engineer? Cunningham ignored the question. You know, when I first started here, there were twice as many people. Then they brought in the consultants. He almost spat the word out. Time management. Total quality management. Business process re-engineering. Process re-engineering? Is that even a real thing? He stopped in mid-rant and looked at coffee mug. You're not going to drink it? Smith self-consciously moved the mug closer. (laughs) A little strong. I'll bring her my own milk tomorrow. The older man nodded, as if this revealed some sad truth. There used to be a tea lady. She'd come round, morning and afternoon, and deliver a cup and a bun to your desk. "'He waved his hand around, taking in all corners of the room. "'No need for gossiping in here. "'If there was anything worth knowing, "'she told you right there and moved on.' "'He paused for a moment, "'apparently retrieving his memories of better times. "'There used to be a typing pool as well,' he said finally. "'And then computers came along, and they got rid of it, "'and we all had to waste time typing out our own reports.' How is that more efficient? Didn't you have to write them anyway? Smith asked, and immediately regretted it in the awkward silence that followed. To recover, he conceded that a lot had changed over the years. It was like firing a starter's gun. Cunningham stood straighter, and his voice rose several decibels. We had our own offices, not this open-plan rubbish. How do they expect you to concentrate, with pictures of other people's children staring at you, or rosy cheeks and missing teeth? He shook his head. My father used to say, never take your work home or your home to work. Two separate lives. Who could possibly do that? Smith thought, but instead asked. Do you have a family? Cunningham stopped and a look passed over his face. Family. His voice lost its authority for a moment. Fading to a whisper meant only for him to hear. But then he shook away whatever memories the word retrieved, and returned to the present. Why can't people just be happy doing their job? That's what they're paid for, isn't it? He leaned forward, raising his hands as if he was about to impart some profound truth. When I was a boy, we lived in a house that didn't have an indoor toilet. We had an outhouse at the bottom of the garden, the Thunderbox, we called it, and every week a fellow came to replace the drum. Sometimes I'd wake up early and see him walking across the yard and he'd be whistling. Ten gallons of shit splashing next to his ear and he was whistling. Now there was a man who was happy in the workplace. Smith started to laugh, then cut it short when Cunningham's look clearly indicated he was making a serious point. You're not one of those fellows who's only here for five minutes to get a line on his resume, are you? he asked, but before Smith could answer, he shook his head and lamented. No loyalty these days, no such thing as a Company man, any more. For a moment it felt like they were observing a minute's silence. Then Cunningham brightened. Anyway, enough chatting. Need to get back to it, he said, starting to leave, but stopping at the door long enough to add, Welcome aboard. Smith stood still for a minute, rerunning the conversation in his head. He was still standing there when another colleague walked in and. "'asked if he was OK. "'What was his name? Uh, "'Jim and George. "'Gill. "'That's it, Gill. Uh, "'I'm fine.' "'Gill made his way to the table "'and picked up a sandwich. "'I love these eggplant ones,' "'he said, popping it whole into his mouth, "'then asking in a vegetarian muffle, "'Are you, are you ready?' "'For what?' "'Gill tapped his watch. "'Departmental meeting.' Smith nodded absently. "'Sure,' he said. "'Then with more conviction, "'By the way, who is this Cunningham guy?' "'Who?' Gill looked confused before the name registered. "'Oh, Cunningham! What makes you bring him up?' Smith shrugged and chose his words carefully. "'He seems very dedicated gill picked up another sandwich which hovered momentarily before being consumed seemed he said swallowing in the pause dropped dead at his desk years ago smith felt a wobble in his legs what I found him face down in the out tray one morning, which seemed appropriate. The man had been here forty years and refused to retire. Dying was the only way to get him out of the place. Gill looked at his watch again. OK to go? Do you want a sandwich? Smith shook his head and ordered his legs to move towards the door. what what's this meeting about? He tried to hide the tremble in his voice. ''The new toner,'' Gil said. ''Apparently the smell is making some people sick.''
1: There goes the neighborhood. Bart Mien. Dear Martha, I thought it was time I wrote and told you the whole story the real one, not the stuff that's been in the news. It all started when that snot nosed Pickering rented out his mother's house to aliens. Now, Beryl was a decent enough old girl, even in those last few years before she died, when she'd wander up and down the street asking where her jack was hiding when you told her he'd been gone for 30 years, she'd just look at you, smile, move on to someone else. But, daft as she was, Beryl still wouldn't have rented out the place. Not to any of those goggle-eyed bastards. Her kid, though, well, that's different. He only cares about what you can stuff in your wallet. He's always been like that. You remember how he used to do odd jobs for a few bucks a pop, and how he scavenged through people's garbage for things he could sell? He never played ball in the street like other kids. And then, when he grew up, well, money, money, money. That's all it ever was with him. Beryl hadn't even cooled off before he was renting out her place. And did he care who his new tenants were? I heard that when Mr. Robinson in number 24 told him it was wrong to rent to the enemy, he just laughed and said they were the ones prepared to pay top dollar. He didn't give a damn how many of our boys and girls died up there fighting those slimy sons of bitches. War's over, he said. We're all friends now. Well, Pickering might think that and those fat suits in government as well, but I can tell you there are no friends on this street, and nowhere else that I know of. Still, we figured there wasn't anything we could do about it, except ignore the slugs when they moved in, of course, so that's what we did. When they were sitting on the porch, we all just walked on by. Never looked up, never nodded, just kept walking like they weren't even there. And that's how it was for a while. An uneasy truce, some people called it. Just like the war. But then two things happened. First, the female... I won't call her a wife or anything like that, because she wasn't married by any god I know. Well, she got pregnant, swelled up and sagged like a water balloon just a few weeks. And second, Miss Noon's miniature schnauzer, Gretel, went missing. Now, Gretel wasn't the sort of dog that went wandering. Pretty much stayed at Miss Noon's feet most of the time, so it was strange, and that got people talking and looking sideways at the new neighbors. But when the Russell's tabby disappeared along with their canary, those looks turned to conversations, and it didn't take long to work out what was going on. It's like my Ethel when she was having our first, Mr. Robinson said. You should have seen the things she wanted to eat. A few of the ladies agreed, and then went on to describe the most god awful combinations of food you could imagine. There was a lot of nodding, and I guess it was me who said we had to do something about it. Everyone had pets to think about, and I was thinking about Jeff Jr. He might have been able to fight them off when he was young, but he's an old hound now, pretty much just sleeps and eats these days. It was Norton, you know, the ex-cop who bought the McNamara place a few years back, who seconded my suggestion. "'How long before some of our kids go missing?' he said, and a few people gasped. "'We hadn't thought about that before.' "'Damn right,' a couple of us said, and one of the ladies started crying and saying how much she loved her grandchildren and how they wouldn't be able to visit if something was going to eat them. Well, we didn't waste any time planning. A few of us got our guns and went visiting. The idea was to tell them to move on, maybe slap the mail around a little to emphasize the point, but things got a little heated.' They said they didn't know anything about the pets. Well, they would, wouldn't they? And told us to get out. Can you believe that? Telling us to get out. Anyway, Robinson screamed at him to go back where they came from. One of the other boys, truth is, I don't know which one, hit the slug with the butt of his gun. The female went crazy at that. She started screaming and slapping us. I told her to shut the hell up, but she grabbed the barrel of my rifle, pulled it towards her, and it went off. Now that's what happened. It was her own goddamn fault. She stood there for a while looking at me breeze blowing through the big hole in her chest, and then her goggle eyes rolled back in her head and she fell flat on the floor. Well, it was quiet for a while. We all looked at each other and wondering what to do next, until Norton finally stepped over her and put a couple of rounds into the slug. He twitched a bit, and then sighed and died. Had to be done, Norton said, and then told us we needed to get rid of them, and that's what we did with a hacksaw and a little elbow grease. Of course, someone reported them missing after a couple of weeks relatives, I guess. I suppose even slimy bastards have some sort of family. We all kept our mouths shut when the government men came asking questions and when the reporters started nosing around. It was always, no, we don't know where they went, but we're glad they're gone. Sounded genuine enough, and we probably would have got away with it if Jeff Jr. had buried those couple bones a little deeper in the backyard. But like I said, he's getting old now. Anyway, you know the rest... All those goddamn news trucks in the street filming while the cops cuffed us like criminals and pushed us into the back of their squad cars. Then that judge saying we had to stand trial, that there was evidence an offense had been committed. An offense? What about the offense that had been committed against us? No one wants to answer that question. No, sir. But then again, it's like our lawyers told the reporters. It's all political. The government's being pressured by the goddamn aliens to prosecute the case. Still, I don't think it'll matter that much in the end. After all, how are they going to convict us? How are they going to find twelve honest men and women willing to hang a man for squashing a bug? Well, it's almost dinner time. They'll be along shortly to take us down to the mess hall, so I'll stop here, Martha. You look after yourself, and remember, the world is not as safe as it used to be when we were young. I will write again when all this nonsense is done with. Regards from your brother, Donnie.